God is good. And all the time. As I mentioned at the beginning of the worship service, if you are not here, uh, just to catch you up to speed, today we begin a new sermon series uh, on stories of hope, especially during hopeless situations. And today we look at our first story, which is about hope in the fire, in the midst of the fire, and this wonderful, powerful testimony from Daniel chapter 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, we, we don't have a slide today with the scripture, but if you want to turn uh, in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, uh, we'll be looking at this story, and it picks up in the middle of the Daniel narrative. Uh, Daniel, of course, is the main character of the book, that faithful young Hebrew uh, youth, along with his three youthful friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is after Babylon has conquered Jerusalem and has taken off some of the scribes and the, the learned men and the, the royal family, the nobility of Jerusalem now are in exile, far away in Babylon. And there is this King Nebuchadnezzar who is in charge of all the land. And he, he becomes one of the main characters of today's episode. Before we wrestle with this together, would you pray with me? Lord, may this timeless text become timely in our hearts and minds. May this ancient story and account be fresh for us. May it be contemporary for us, Lord, that we may hear it and think about our lives today, here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Many people don't know this about me, but I'm, I'm quite the theater fan. I love the theater. In fact, in college, when I was at uh, Campbell University, my minor was in theater arts with a focus on directing. Um, so I like to tell people what to do uh, as part of that as well. But because I love and am passionate about the theater, I often think about life in terms of Act one, scene one. I kind of map things out. And as I hear and read history, I often do the same thing. So I can't help but as we look at this chapter, first of all, this is going to be the uncut director's cut. This is, we're not going to take anything out of this story. It's easy and tempting to maybe pick a few verses from the chapter, but we'll look at the whole chapter. This is the uncut edition. <laughs> There's nothing been edited out. But also, as we look at each of these sections, I want us to think about it as though it were some real-life drama, real-life play acting out before our very eyes. And so we're going to start with Act 1. Act 1, Threats and Intimidation. Scene 1, The Gold. Scene 1, The Gold, verses 1 through 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose weight was 60 cubits and whose width was six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to, 
the dedication of the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. As you hear the play, the narrator is reading this, and you can see the actors begin to take the stage, the satraps, the prefects, the counselors, one by one, each in an even more ridiculous costume than the next, with more pomp and circumstance than the next, with a greater air of importance to them. Verse 3, so the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical ensemble, you are all to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. You can almost hear in our play each one of those sounds coming from the orchestra pit down below as they make their sound. But notice that he says, as you hear these things, you will bow down. So what happens? Whoever does not fall down, verse 6, and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You can just see them all falling down dramatically in worship of this enormous golden monument to self and self-centeredness. Nebuchadnezzar has an ego that cannot be measured. He believes that he is the king of the world. You notice how he says all peoples, all tribes, all nations, everyone in the whole world bow down to this image, which is really just an extension of himself. Bow down to me, Nebuchadnezzar says. So in that first scene, we're invited to ask ourselves, if this was our story today, what are we being asked to bow down to? What does the world ask you to worship, to accept? What are the demands that our cultures, our society, the world in general, through movies and through news outlets, through what we hear on the radio, through the billboards around the city, everywhere we turn, we are asked by somebody to bow down to something. What are we asked to not just tolerate? Because we come as a church from a, a tradition of Baptists that believe in religious liberty, but we're not just asked to give freedom to do, but to bow down and worship what is done. Do you see the difference? Not just to accept it, but to embrace it, and you better love it. <laughs> you better like it. Bow with a smile. And I don't need to fill in your list of what these possibilities are. You, you, you see it. You experience it. 
You know what you're asked to bow down to. And so scene one closes into scene two of act one. Ha, and act two, scene two is entitled The Snitches. Snitches. Do you know what a snitch is? I grew up in a very rough school. Like in my school, there were fights every day. There was always people smoking, not just tobacco, in the bathroom. There were people coming to school with alcohol. There were people cheating on tests, stealing things. And if someone told on you, that person is called a snitch. And we also had a saying when I was growing up, snitches get stitches. <laughs> snitches get stitches. <laughs> in our story, there are some snitches. We pick up in verse 8 of this scene. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sounds of the horn, pipe, lyre, you can hear these going off again from the orchestra pit, trigon, harp, drum, and chime, and the entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. You could see this scene where as all of these people on the stage fell down in these elaborate and flowing gestures of worship, and yet three brave teenagers, young men, standing all alone in a sea of capitulation, a sea of acceptance, a sea of compromise, they remind, remain uncompromised. So again, if this was our story today, what does this have to do with snitches? Who are the people who are the modern-day tattletalers, the ones who say, aha, they're not doing it the right way? This could be anybody. It could certainly be the news outlets. Today, I think the, the place where we find this the most is social media. If you don't believe in a way that is conformed to the world, the world will out you. The world will tell on you. You will find that you will look to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or anywhere that you turn to, to receive any kind of place of connection. Look at him. Look at what he's doing. And it's usually that we are labeled or demonized or called you know, a bigot or called a hateful person. Look at those Christians, so stuck in their ways. I go to an example, for, for my mind, I turn to Richard Dawkins and the God Delusion, which is an effort from this atheist uh, biologist to say that anyone who believes in a God is an idiot. How foolish. You see the ridiculing that takes place. 
And so people will tell on us. Did you hear about that church in Frankfurt, multi-nation? Can you believe they had the audacity to say that, that the people who are lost need to just accept this, their God, their Jesus? What a blind bunch of fools. But our play continues. Scene three, real threats. I mean, it's one thing for people to say something about Christians in general on the internet. But what about when it affects us specifically and directly? Look in verse 13 with me. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. And so they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have set up, well, good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? It sounds like this is Nebuchadnezzar versus Shadrach, Meshach, and the Medigo, but that last line clues us in that this is really Nebuchadnezzar versus God, the Hebrew God, Yahweh. The arrogance that he lays out, but he gives this real scenario of consequence. By the way, is it just me, but I, I cannot help but have Monty Python in my mind as we keep repeating the same pattern, the same sequences of, of all of these things that are supposed to happen but it's not funny at all for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they know that the threat, the threat is real. You know, we think about persecution and martyrdom as a very ancient thing or a very distant thing, but it doesn't take us long to do a little research and to do a little reading to find out that this is very alive and well today, isn't it? I was just reading earlier this week about a Malaysian pastor who, in 2017, was just completely kidnapped. Just three SUVs pulled up around him, motorcycles stopped traffic, officials in black uniforms jumped out of the vehicles, they snatched him away from his wife, and he has never been seen from or heard from again. And even before that, his wife tells that there were raids on their property. They were accused of evangelism. That's a crime. They were investigated thoroughly. They were sent a letter of anthrax in the mail and at one point even received a package with two bullets and a note saying, stop or die. That's real persecution. We may not find that in Frankfurt, but we will still find forms of threat. The threats are still very real. In fact, I know of a gentleman right now in the Frankfurt area 
who, when he became a believer, a follower of Jesus, not just a cultural Christian, not just a historical Christian with a connection to a local parish, but when he came out and said, I've, I, I'm a sinner and I've been saved by grace and he was baptized in the waters, his colleagues immediately began to question, formally question, his mental health. And then eventually he was, in effect, demoted from his position of management. That's another form of real, genuine threat. And then we have an intermission. I'm not going to sing a song for you. But in our play, after we come back from the intermission, we go into Act 2. Will the real king please stand up? And we see and meet this true and real king in our first act, fearless faith. Verse 16, the fearlessness of these three young people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go and answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. That's bold. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue you have set up. This is more of a scholarly thing, but you should know that there's a lot of debate about how exactly to translate some of those lines in Hebrew. And you see where the translation I'm using saying, if he is able, the NIV says, our God is able, and he will deliver us. But probably the most accurate, if you go somewhere in between those, is that they say to the king, look, first of all, we don't have to defend ourselves to you. You're not our king, and you're certainly not our God. What a boldness to say that to the world today. Look, I don't answer to you. And our moral standards are not based on society or pop culture or political correctness but on the heart of Scripture. But then they go on to say to him, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not. That's an important if. Even if he does not. Look, if they are sure that no matter what happens, they will not burn up in the fire, then it's not really brave, brave is it? If they know nothing bad's going to happen, then they're not really stepping out on faith. They don't know what's going to happen. They know God could save them. They know he is able to, but they don't claim that God has to. I, I, I loathe the name-it-and-claim-it theology of some churches, that you can decree to God and God must obey <laughs> His very name, Yahweh, doesn't just mean I am who I am. It can also mean I will do what I will do. That's a God. That's a God, not a little thing in a box that we open up when we need it and say, I wish I may, I wish I might. But our God, as C.S. Lewis said, 
of the God metaphor Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he is not a tamed lion. He is a wild king of the jungle. So they don't claim to know what's going to happen, but even if they will die in the fire, may that be our fate, they say, we will still, we will still not bow down and worship. Think, if we're thinking about this one in our modern context, what would you do? <laughs> if you don't know what the outcome will be, you don't know if you're going to make it through this or not, will I lose my friends if I start talking about Jesus all the time? Will I, will I lose my status in the corporation if, if all of a sudden they know that this guy believes in and a savior, and, and he talks about the Bible all the time. Well, will this hurt my family relationships? The threats are real. The threats are real. And not only are the threats real, but they, they only seem to increase the more we stand our ground. And so we come to the next scene. Faithfulness leads to what? What does faithfulness lead to? Where does it get us? Let's look in verse 19 through 21. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. You see it's all messed up. He's angry. He sounds like a spoiled little kid stamping his feet. I would cast, if I was directing this play, I would cast a very, very small child as Nebuchadnezzar. A spoiled brat of a child. His face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary. And he'd ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. It almost sounds like a comedy. I fig picture these really large bodybuilder-type guys coming onto the stage. They're bound in their clothing, hats on, ties pulled tight in their best clothes, and they're thrown into this furnace that's heated up seven times. What do we get in the face of attack, spiritual attack, cultural attack, family attack pressures, social media pressure? What do we get when we stand our ground and say, I'm not going to fight with you, I'm not going to war with you. They're, they're completely passive, but they don't relent. And what do they get? We get harder attacks. We get harsher attacks. That's the truth. I remember I was telling my mentor when I was very young in ministry, one of my mentors was asking me what I was up to. And I was telling her about this ministry project and how I was so blessed because everything was going perfectly. Everything was coming together. It just seemed so easy. And she, had, she just nodded her and her very ancient eyes looked me up and down. And she said, well... Let's figure out what you're doing wrong. I said, what do you mean what I'm, 
I'm not doing anything wrong. Obviously, everything's right because everything's going so well. And she said, if you're doing everything that God wants, the enemy will come at you. But if you're doing everything he wants, he'll let you go. (laughs) Go in peace and keep on sinning is what the enemy says. And sure enough, I found her words of wisdom to be so true. When we are faithful, the pressure only increases. But the story goes on. In almost our final scene, we come to verses 22 through 25. God is with us in the fire. He is with us in the fire. Because the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The big buff bodybuilders are now dead. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the force Fourth has an appearance as of a God. And indeed, it was God. In whatever form, it was God with them in the midst of the furnace. He didn't save them from the furnace, but he certainly made their way through. And I think it is, it's amazing that they're unsinged, they're unharmed. And not only that, the bondage that was used has been released from them. Here's what they show us. Success and victory are not the same. Success and victory are not the same. If we bow down, we may gain some success for a time. If we we adjust our morals, we might gain some success in this life. But victory is an eternal reality. Victory is something beyond our circumstances. And the king steps into the fire with you in your life, wherever you are facing opposition, persecution, judgment, pressure, influences, even temptation. He steps into that fire with us. And in that moment, we discover victory, powerful victory. The last scene of the last act. The witness of faithfulness. The witness of faithfulness. In verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door. How funny. He's there at the fiery door of the furnace of blazing fire. And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He's just answered the question he asked before when he said, and what God can save you out of my hands? Now he knows. And he knows the name. God, Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the kings, counselors gathered together and saw 
that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's commandment and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except for their own. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that utters blasphemy against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses laid to ruins. For there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. When you are faithful and remain faithful to the truth of God's word and stand your ground in the face of persecution or cultural pressures, people will see. You notice how now the, all the satraps and prefects and counselors and all these political people and powerful people, they have gotten up off of their knees because we left them bowing down. They were still in the dirt for the whole play. But now they've gotten up and they've cocked their heads and out of the corner of their eyes they can see these three people of faith standing their ground against all pressure and real threat and opposition. And now they say, who is this God? that these men are worshiping. People will see. And God will use that moment. It's not because of us, but in that moment, God turns the hearts. And he began to work in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. I am incapable of watching this play in my mind without thinking about a time when I was probably 12 years old, 13 years old, just a teenager, and, and my group of friends, our little gang, every day after school, we had the same ritual. We would get on our bikes or we would walk the neighborhood and we would go to the local arcade and play Pac-Man and, and pinball and shoot pool and just be kids. But the route from my house, this is after we'd moved into the big city, 2,000 people, of Whiteville from Hogwaller, my house, between my house and the arcade, there was a dog. We called him Killer. He was a full-blooded pit bull. I think these are illegal in Germany, am I right? And he was the stereotypical, vicious, nasty, gnarly, angry, foaming at the mouth around Killer's neck. And so he would run to the edge of the property, and every day, without doubt, it was completely predictable that when he got to that line, the rope would stretch, and it would pull Killer back, and all he could do was bark. And so our test of manhood was to see how close you could get <laughs> to that line and endure. But it wasn't really a test of bravery, because we knew that there was a rope. Until one day, it was my turn to be brave. And just as I got to that line, Killer comes out of his little box, 
the rope on his neck. He runs full speed. He reaches the full extent, and I can hear it in my mind. It's as if time stopped. The world stopped. My heart stopped. I heard, snap. The rope had broken, and like lightning, in an instant, this dog was all over me, biting my arms and my neck and, and biting my chest and biting my face, and I was screaming out in pain. I can remember how badly it hurt. And then my friends grow closer. They, were, they didn't know what to do. Can we pull the dog off? They stood a little closer, and they noticed that my screams began to change, and, and now I was not screaming in pain, but I was laughing. It was hysterical. I didn't know the killer was so old he had lost every tooth in his mouth. <laughs> and rather than biting me with sharp, vicious pit bull fangs, he was just slobbering over me with greasy gr gums and just gnawing on me with a toothless mouth. But what's so amazing is before I realized that, it really did hurt. I believed so fully that he could hurt me that I let him hurt me. Think about Nebuchadnezzar. Think about the threats that face us, the persecution, the, the way we are persecuted today. It's just a toothless bulldog. In the grand scheme of eternity, there's nothing the enemy can do to you. But the moment we believe he can, he can. And it will hurt, even though it's a toothless attack. Monday's coming tomorrow, and we go back out into the real world, beyond the safety of these doors. In fact, we might even find that real world this very afternoon. We have to remember two things. We're not promised that it will always be easy to be a follower of Christ. But in the eternal perspective, that enemy has nothing, nothing that it can do to you. And our God is the only God. Our God is the sovereign king of the universe. And it is to him and him alone we shall bow down and worship. Would you pray with me? O oh Lord, our God, king of the universe, the only one. We pray for boldness of faith, that we can trust ourselves into your hands, that we place ourselves in our hands that you might make our faith beautiful, our trust beautiful, that you might lead us out from this place today with boldness to, to speak your word in love, to stand against oppression, to stand against hate, to stand against racism and prejudice, to stand against wickedness, and to bring the truth of the gospel of love to all those who need to hear it, even if it makes us unpopular, even if it brings us ridicule and shame. May we stand. May we stand. In Jesus' name, amen.